please. And if you can, and we are going to look to the Psalms, chapter 100 and chapter 150. His word for us this morning. I uh, wrestle with my spirit and with my time of searching the mind of God for this morning's lesson because of the wonderful camp meeting revival that the Lord favored us with last week and all the gifted and anointed preaching of the Word. And when I reflect on the camp meeting and revival and the five services, actually there were six services, God over-answered my prayers. By that I mean in my private devotions, in my praying in these altars and time of fasting, I asked God for certain things through this particular camp meeting series of services that we concluded on Wednesday. And I, one of the things I said, God, let the preachers confirm the Word of God, even though they don't talk to each other, meaning because a different speaker each service, and haven't, I haven't given them a theme or told them which way to go. But you let the, let the Word build upon the Word. And I'm telling you, it did. And there were people blessed, as you were blessed, obviously, and delivered and encouraged. And I, I want to come and just, not that I can preach like them, nor that's what God called me to do, but I want to come and just take this word this morning so that the devil doesn't steal from you what you've gotten or what you need. Okay? Because no sooner the revival's over, the Wednesday night service concluded, the devil gets in our lives or tries to to bring discouragement and doubt and faith and steal our joy. And I'm just here to say to you that you don't have to take that, that you can build on what God has done. And the best way I know to do that is to continue in the praises of God. So, Psalm 100, I tell you what, uh, we all, I'm reading from the New King James Version. You may have the King James or another, but let's all read it from the screen together, okay? On the count of three, we'll read it out loud together, and we'll just get it in our spirits. One, two, three. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful to Him and bless His name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and His truth endures to all generations. Say amen. amen. Take me to the next. Psalm 150. Here we go again on the count of three. One, two, three. Praise the Lord. Praise God in the sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty firmament. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise Him with the lute and harp. Praise Him with the tambourine and dance. Praise Him with string instruments and flutes. Praise Him with loud cymbals. Praise Him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Bow for a few seconds. God, I need your energy and your anointing. Point your hands to me, church, and ask God to help me to preach today. Would you pray for me now? God, touch my mind, touch my voice, touch my emotions, touch my perspective, my attitude. I'm not here to be the kind of winding up the people of God like, a, like an organ grinder so they can produce. I'm here to be a representative of God and Your Word will produce the power. Lord, help us to be a people of a joyful praise. 
Dwell in us right now as we go into this word so that we are better in Jesus' name. Amen? And amen it is. And you may be seated. I have come to understand that there is a kind of praising God that God lives in more so than maybe a different kind of praising God that while it's good, it may not produce the breakthrough that we need as the high praises of God can do. So if you've gotten a breakthrough in recent weeks or during our camp meeting revival, or if you need one, I want to talk to you this morning about the kind of praising of God that gives you more than the victory, if, if that's the way I can put it, because He's a more than enough God. And I like, I like what the psalmist said in Psalm 150, and so you might want to look or refer to that, because that's the one we just read. He talks about Praising the Lord in His sanctuary, in which you are seated this morning. Can I get an amen? Praise Him in His mighty firmament, which means the expanse of the heavens. Praise Him for His mighty acts. I may know He's a mighty God. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. You see, there is a reason to praise God. Not just that it's a command of the Lord to praise God, but there's a reason to praise God because of all the mighty things He does and who He is for His greatness. Then He tells us how to praise Him in verse 3. Praise Him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise Him with the lute and harp. Praise Him with the timbrel and dance. Praise Him with the string instruments. Praise Him with the instruments and flutes. Praise Him with the loud cymbals and the clashing cymbals. Verse 6, let everything that had breath praise the Lord. We've been doing that in our praise and worship. Amen? And what you find here is, is, is the psalmist saying there's never a time or a place where it's actually inappropriate to praise the Lord. Praise Him if you're here and praise Him if you're someplace else. Praise Him if He's done this particular thing for you or praise Him if He's done something else for you. Praise Him if you can play an instrument and if you can't play an instrument and all you can do is clash some cymbals or clap your hands, praise the Lord. And what He's saying is that everything, and especially humans, that everything that has breath, let everything that's breathing, praise the Lord. Let everybody praise the Lord because there's a kind of praise to God that scares demons and runs the devil and brings you a breakthrough. So I guess we should begin by talking about what praise is. Now, when I get, we got into this and reading about it, I realized there's a whole series of preaching needs to be done on this subject of praise. And I'm just going to do what I have for this morning. But when I think about praise, sometimes, you know, we talk about praise and worship in church, and it's important that we do. But we don't always have a clear estimation of what it is. When we talk about church and what praise and worship is, sometimes we think that praise is the first three fast songs that we sing during the congregation singing. That's praise. And then the worship is the slower songs that we sing before the prayer. And while that has some impact for praise and worship, yet actually there's more to praise and worship than that. Because when you read about praise and worship in the Old and the New Testament, the New Testament word from the Greek word where we get the words praise, worship, glory, and honor, all of these words come from one Greek word that speaks of praise. It's the word Doxa, D-O-X-A, and it means glory, giving glory to God. And 
If there is any difference between praise and worship, it is this. Worship is how we esteem God. It's the attitude of the adoration of our heart towards God. Wow. Praise Him for His greatness. Praise Him for His awesome power. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Pray, and you can worship without saying a sound. Because it's your estimation of how good He is. It's your estimation of how, how He has done things for you and how you feel His anointing. And you don't even have to say a sound because it has to do with but your perspective. And if you see Him large and wonderful and glorious, then you adore Him for that. And then that, that's kind of the concept of worship. And then you move into praise is a little bit different. Praise is the articulation of that adoring heart. When we praise God, we give vent to our voice and to the heart that we have towards God. Worship is estimation. Praise is articulation. Both gives God esteem and commends Him very highly. Worship is silent, but praise never is. Whether the song is slow or fast, whether it's a song that everybody follows or like or don't like, whatever it is, if it's giving glory to God, whether we shout or clap, praise is never silent. Praise, the Bible says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. That's in Psalm 100. So you can't say I'm praising God silently or I'm praising God without expression because praise requires action of our body and articulation of our mouth. Somebody ought to say amen. And when I talk about praise then, I want to talk about the kind of praise that brings breakthrough. Something happens when we applaud and magnify the Lord i got four things I want you to see that happens when you begin to praise the Lord. And I'm telling you this this morning because I want you to either get your joy or keep your joy. Hallelujah to Jesus. I'm telling you this morning because this will work whether you can get to your medicine cabinet or you are away from it. Give me a good amen, somebody. I'm telling you this whether the lawyer's number is busy or not and you need to get to him or her, this will work. Oh, I feel a whoop glory coming on. <laughs> I'm telling you this because whether you can get to the pastor or not, if you can praise God gladly and deliberately, it will give you a breakthrough like nothing else can. Here, and some of this stuff you, I know you already know, but, but let me remind you of it because it's good. It's good. Praise secures God's manifest presence. The fastest way, brothers and sisters... To get the presence of God to come down in church or in your car or in your bedroom or in your hospital bed. The fastest way to get the presence of God to come down upon your marriage or your children or in the office or the school or wherever you are. To get the presence of God is to worship and praise God. Now in this account in Second Chronicles 5 verses 13 and 14, it is speaking of 
the moving of the Ark of the Covenant of God into the temple that Solomon just built. And you, you know the account of Solomon building the house of God. You know that, that before the temple was built, the Ark of the Covenant was housed in a tent-like tabernacle. Now, the Ark of the Covenant, most of you already know, but let me remind you, symbolized the presence of God among the people. God told Moses exactly how to build and design the Ark of the Covenant, and everywhere they went, God would cause the priest to lead the people, the designated priest, and those who were prepared for the transporting of the Ark of the Covenant to go ahead of the people of God in their wilderness wandering and in their coming into the promised land. And everywhere that the Lord would stop the priest, the Ark would be placed in the tabernacle in the most holy place, and there the people would stay until God moved them further. But when God brought the people into the promised land where they wouldn't have to move anymore and raised up the second king of Israel, pardon me, the third king of Israel, Solomon, David's son, Solomon was so blessed of God because God favored him and because he obeyed God most of his life that he said, God's been so good, I've got to build a temple, a dwelling place, a permanent place for the ark of the covenant of God and a place where all of Israel can come together every designated time during the year to worship God. Well, he built one of the most ornate of all buildings during his particular time in history. The temple of God was so uh, beautifully designed and so ornately directed, uh, 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 furnished, I should say, until it, it was one of the marvels of the ancient architectural world. And then on the day of dedication, the Lord instructed after all the furnishings were placed in the temple, the final piece would be the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant would be placed in the most holy place of the temple called the Holy of Holies. So holy was that place that only one person can go in it, and that was once a year. Into the Holy of Holies, the high priest would go once a year to offer prayers and uh, confessions and intercession to God at the Ark of the Covenant for the people of God, lest they had sinned the last year. And what would happen is it's so holy until the high priest, before he went into the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was placed and then draped by curtains that God instructed that it would be draped by, before the priest would go in, he'd have to offer a sacrifice for his own sins. He'd have to wash and bathe and put on priestly clothing. You don't just wander into the Holy of Holies nonchalantly because God says, if you do, I'm going to kill you. And, and, and God instructed the priests, on the day you go into the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant is, you wear the robes, I tell you, and at the bottom of the hem of the robes would be little bells, ornate bells, all around the, the robe. And along with wearing that particular robe at bells, I want you to put a rope tied to your ankle, one end of a rope tied to your ankle, high priest, Mr. High Priest, and let the other end be held by one of your servants outside of the most holy place. Because you see, Mr. High Priest, when you go to offer prayers and sacrifices at the Ark of the Covenant for the people of God, 
then I want to make sure you're holy. And as long as you're walking around in there and you're making uh, prayers and atonement, your bells are going to ring at the bottom of your skirt and the people on the outside are going to hear the bells ringing and they're going to know everything's okay. But if those bells stop ringing for a prolonged period of time, then that means you're a dead man. And that means you've collapsed in there and nobody can just go in there and bring you out on a stretcher. They've got to pull you out by the rope that is attached to your legs. As far as I know, nobody ever had to be pulled out from the most holy place for being unclean. I want to tell you something. If that's what it takes to get there and, get, and, and to offer service, I, I, I want you to know you better be sure you prayed up. Can I get a witness here? You better be sure or you better give that duty to somebody else. The, the fact that the matter is so holy is the Lord. And what happened is on this particular day of the dedication of the temple of God built by Solomon, the people gathered by the hundreds and by the multiple thousands, and they surrounded the temple, and they were in the inner courtyard. And now they were going to place the most holy vessel, the Ark of the Covenant, in the most holy place. That's what the Bible says in Second Chronicles 5.13. Indeed, it came to pass when the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For He is good, for His mercy endures forever, that the house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud. Verse number 14 so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. You know what brought that cloud down? You know what filled that temple in that holy place? It's when the people came to the temple and they praised God and they played their instruments and they clapped their hands and they worshipped God. And when they worshipped God at the celebration of His house, then the presence of God was so thick and so rich and so powerful they couldn't even have church as usual. Somebody put your hands together. Give me a little monitor, if you will, Brian. You know what? I, I want to tell you, I know that we are long removed from the day of the temple and the day of the Ark of the Covenant. But here's how we ought to have church. When you come to church, you ought not to let somebody else be responsible for the presence of God in the sanctuary. When you come to church, you ought not to wait for somebody to sing your fast song or your slow song or somebody sit beside you that you like or prefer. Can I get an amen here? Everybody, it's not up to the pastor and the staff alone or the praise team and the choir. We are all responsible to prepare ourselves when we come into the holy place. But you and I are not to be like leeches where somebody does all the preparation and all the work and we come and suck it in. I feel I whoop glory coming on here. I'm telling you, if you are going to be blessed this Sunday morning, you have to be able to say, God, I am going to praise you whether I feel like it or not. I'm going to clap. I'm going to sing. I'm going to worship. I'm going to raise hands. I'm going to praise God. Because even though I don't feel like it, if I begin doing it, the Holy Ghost in me will pump it up, will raise it up, will help me to feel like it. And before I know it, I'm lost in the presence of the praise. Praises of God. Yeah. You know, too many times we go to church like we go to Disney World. Or Six Flags. Here I paid my ticket. Now, you're responsible for making me happy. Uh, help me, Jesus. Y'all might be glad I'm going out of town. 
hey, let me tell you something. It's different in church. You can pay a ticket to Disney World Six Flags, but even if you go there, I'm told you got to get on the ride to have some fun. Hello? I'm told that even though you pay your way, you got to get on, on, on those kind of things and whatever you want to do over there, you got you to be actively involved. And when you come to church, you don't have to be like the little handsome ball man. That would be me. You don't have to shout and yell. I'm not trying to make you all some, something that you're not. But, oh, what you do have to do is say, God, you said to lift up my hands in the sanctuary. You said to clap holy hands unto God. You said to praise you on the instrument. You said to sing the songs. You said that everything breathing, let have breath, praise God. And you see, when you begin to praise God, you get distracted from your fears and your anxiety and your worries and all these things. It doesn't mean it goes away right away, but it gives you weapons. It gives you a thought to change your perspective when you think about the greatness of God your problems begin to diminish in the presence of the greatness of God oh God I want your presence and I you see that that's kind of what happened in our revival and camp meeting as these services progressed I noticed you all stayed around because you didn't know what God was going to do next I noticed during the camp meeting and revival nobody was in a hurry to go home and flip on the TV to watch the Braves lose again you know, uh, you know uh, the, the fact of the matter is when, when the presence of God comes down, awesome things begin to happen. Nothing gets His presence in your marriage faster than you praising God. And the last thing you want to do is when you get bad news in your marriage is to praise God. But if you praise God anyhow and give Him thanks that the lawyer doesn't have the final word, the spouse won't have the final word, God has the final word, and I'm going to praise you anyhow. I'm going to praise you, God. Lord, I'm going to praise you for that son or daughter that the harder I pray, the more rebellious they come. God, I'm not going to fight them with more rebellion, but I'm going to praise you by faith. I'm going to bring your presence into their life. I'm going to praise you that by faith, me and my house are going to serve the Lord. I'm going to praise you. God, I don't have the job yet. I, I, I made application for the job, and they say 50 other people made application for the same job. God, you know my qualifications. You know my heart. You know I'm your servant. And God, I, I just want you to know I'm just not just serving you for you to be my push-button magician. I'm not just serving you because I want an easy button. Huh? You know about the easy button, don't you? Yeah. You know, I just, I, I, Lord, if I don't get this job, you gave me the last one I got, and I'm going to praise you anyhow. I'd like to have it, but I'm going to praise you anyhow, God, and I'm going to worship you. Lord, there's a spot on the x-ray representing the x-ray of my lungs. And God, there's a history of some kind of this kind of thing in my family. And Lord, I don't want that. I'm not claiming that. But I am going to go to the doctor. I am going to do what he or she says. And yet, God, you know, I may not see it. The healing may not come just like this. It may come like this. But I, I'm just going to tell you, God, that I didn't get saved just because I wanted you to be my sugar daddy. Pardon the expression, but you know what I mean. I got saved because I couldn't save myself, and you bless me. If you don't bless me anymore, I'm going to serve you. I'm just going to praise you because you're good. So, if you want to bring the presence of God in your car, turn off Neil Bortz. Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity, and all the, well, yeah, and just praise God. If you want to bring God in your bedroom, turn off the distractions and praise you, Lord. I worship you, Lord. I'm telling you, 
I'm telling you, there's nothing magic about it. There's something omnipotent about when you praise God, the choirs of heaven joins you. The Word of God comes alive. Let me show you something. You know, isn't it it like God to ask you to do something in the natural that seems so foolish in the natural? When we should be going and seeing the counselor, the psychiatrist, and taking pills because we're so depressed. Our world's falling apart. He says, praise me. You see, the wisdom of God appears to be foolish compared to the wisdom of men. But even if God had foolishness, which he doesn't, but just the way they, the foolishness of God, the Bible says, is wiser than the wisdom of men. Oh, I, oh, my, 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 my. So praise God anyhow. Because it brings us present. Let me show you something, something else it does. Praising God secures the victory. There, there is this wonderful account in Second Chronicles 20, 15, and 22, 15 to 22, about Jehoshaphat and the tribe of Judah. One of my favorite praise passages in the Old Testament. Reverend Jonathan Ziegler preached on Tuesday night. Uh, he brought that to our attention just briefly in his, in his message, Fight the Fight. And uh, th- this, this account, and if I get into it, I may take too long in telling it, but let, let me just kind of bring it in a more abbreviated form. After the people of God, the tribe of Judah, had possessed the land God had given them and chased out their enemies, they settled the land, built houses, and added to what God had given them and prospered. Well, the former inhabitants of the land decided they wanted to come back and take it back and drive away the people of God. The former inhabitants of the land being the Ammonites, Moabites, Edomites, and Termites. They lived there too. Yeah, I'm serious. And... uh, They decided, bless God, that was ours first, and we're going to go back and get it. The Bible says there was such a large army of the Moabites, Edomites, Ammonites. They positioned themselves overlooking the valley of Ziz. The valley of Tekoa on the cliff of Ziz. The valley is Tekoa. The the, the cliff they want is a hundred and more thousand soldiers. They have shining armors. They have strong horses. They have trained warriors and special forces. And they are on that hill with their trumpets and their drums and their commanders. They have fire in their eyes and they're thirsting for revenge. And here is Jehoshaphat and the tribe of Judah, who is perhaps uh, less than a third or so of the number of the enemy. And, and they are on the other hillside or mountainous area that again borders the valley of Tekoa. And they hear and see the enemy and they know what they have in mind and fear strikes the king whose name is Jehoshaphat. And he begins to pray and seek God and say, God, we have no might against this company. Look how loud, large, numerous they are. We have no strength against them. We don't even know what to do. We are not skilled warriors. We're not fighters. We are people of the wilderness. You gave us this land. We didn't bother them. God, what are we going to do? And here's what God says. He says, the battle is not yours. The battle is not yours. The battle is the Lord's. But I'm going to give you a plan because I'm a God of purpose. He says, I want you, I want you to put the choir ahead of the army. This choir is qualified. You all are a prayed up choir. 
Yeah, you're sanctified full of the Holy Ghost choir. I want you to put the choir ahead of all the, the military age people you have in the tribe of Judah. And let them begin to march down this hillside into the valley of Tekoa, making their way to the enemy. And I want all on the choir, I want the singers to go, I want the, 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 the musicians to go. I want, and, and the only thing I want you to do is to just say these words, praise the Lord for his mercy, endure it forever. Uh, no more things, just repeat this phrase. Praise the Lord for his mercy, endure it forever. Everybody say it with me. Praise the Lord for his mercy, endure it forever. One more time and louder. Praise the Lord for his mercy, endure it can you do it one more time louder? Praise the Lord for his mercy. Endure it forever. Well, see, they did that, marching down that valley. And it echoed in the valley. And the more they marched, the louder they got. And the angels of God began to accompany them in their spirit. And the people on the, on the mountain, 100,000 of the Ammonites, Edomites, and Moabites, God sent confusion among them. They, the people in the valley praising God were so loud until it appeared to the enemy that, en that, that, that they were being attacked on every side, not just from the valley. The Bible said the Lord set ambushments against the Ammonites, Moabites, and Edomites, and they turned on each other. They were so confused, they started killing each other, and they completely annihilated all of themselves, thinking they were being attacked by other people, until, and, and that was going on on the top of that hill. And you know what was going on in that valley? While all that was going on, they were saying, Praise the Lord for His mercy. Endure. And the louder they praised, and the more deliberately they praised, the more the forces of the power of God secured the victory. Even Lord, praise somebody. Hey, every one of the enemies died without one weapon of the people of God being used against them. Without a shield, a sword, a spear, whatever. They didn't, I don't know that they had any with them because God didn't tell them to take any. It took the people of God four days, four days to collect the spoils of the enemies. Because not only does God defeat your enemy, he makes you wealthy from what they have. Because the Bible says the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous. Help me preach here, somebody. I guess what I'm trying to tell you is it brings the victory. David Wilkerson, many of you know David Wilkerson, amen? David Wilkerson is probably approaching 80 years old. He's the pastor of Times Square Church in New York City, the heart of H-E, the other two. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Sin City also, yeah. If I was going to start a church, uh, I probably wouldn't go to New York City Times Square. I'm too afraid. But then the Lord, the Lord can give us courage, right? Uh, David Wilkerson, that, that's, he went to New York City in the 60s. David Wilkerson is a founder of Teen Challenge Ministry that is an alcohol and drug addiction deliverance ministry that has now flourished all over the world. I went to the country of India in 2006 to the city of Lucknow, India, in West India, out of Delhi. And there at Pastor Matthias Church, Papi Matthias Church, whom I had breakfast with this past Monday because he's coming through uh, the, the, uh, our area here. And, and he has a ministry called Teen Challenge for which David Wilkerson responsibly started in the 60s. David Wilkerson went to the gangs in New York City when nobody else would go to them with the message of hope and deliverance. When drugs were at its, uh, its, its beginning, its, its, its rounds in the country among the youth, but especially New York 
York City and there were different ethnic groups and people from all over the world and they had their own turf. Can I get, a, can I get an amen here? They had their own geographical turf areas. They had guns. They had switchblades. They had knives. They had bats. And they would come to rumble against each other and such. And, and they were heavily in drugs and very promiscuous with sex. And that was the hippie movement and all that kind of stuff then in, in the nation. What happened is God sends David Wilkerson there to minister to them. A, old, a, a, a young country preacher, maybe middle-aged, a country preacher from Texas, God sent to the heart of New York City. Doesn't he have a sense of humor or something else? He was approaching, he was on his way to have a service that night among the gangs, meaning for the gang members at a particular meeting house. For anybody who'd come. And as, a, as he was going to the service and headed on the streets, walking in the streets in the evening as it began to get dark, he noticed he began to be very uncomfortable in his spirit. And he noticed that a group of young men was approaching him in the oncoming direction. And something in his spirit said they had evil intent against him. And that they, they had, they, they were somehow, because of the nature of how these gangs work, if you cross their turf and you ain't got no business there, you're good as dead. And he began to feel, oh God, because I don't care how anointed you are and powerful you are, you're still housed in flesh and you have human emotions. What am I going to do, God? And he began to whisper a prayer in his spirit as he kept walking and they kept coming because he had to go that way in order to get to where he's going for the appointment. And he said, oh my, he said, they approached me and I could tell by the way they were reaching in their pockets or reaching in between. And he said, they started surrounding me. And I thought, God, what do I do? And when you get in that kind of spirit, you can't remember your favorite verses or you can't remember point number one, two, three, four, Pastor Matura's Sunday sermon, you know. And he said, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit said, just praise God. He said, I just clapped my hands and shouted, praise the Lord. He said, they stopped a sudden and just looked at him wide eyes. He thought, my God, I ought to do it again. Clapped his hands and shouted, praise the Lord. Did it about three or four times. And he said, they scattered as if he had a gun shooting at them and left him right here on the street. And he was able to proceed to his meeting because there's power in praising God. It brings a victory. Let, let, let me show you something else. Not only does it bring the victory. Uh, I'll skip to point number three. I know you have another slide in between. It secures an unburdening. I've gotten up at night. I've gotten up in the wee hours in the morning. Having gone to bed, but as far as I know, nothing troubling me on my mind. But I've gotten up like some of you have. With a heaviness. I, 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 have, I have gotten up at times convinced that forces of darkness was in the room. I'm not trying to scare you, okay? Uh, I have had people tell me, Christian godly people, even ministers of the gospel who have gone to cities or towns or other places like David Wilkerson to preach the word, and they're in their hotel room, came under apparent physical attack of Satan. While they could not see or feel a person in the room, they could feel the force of their arm or their hands around their neck or holding them down in the bed. And I'm not trying to... I'm not trying to get off in Hollywood here. I'm telling you the devil's real, okay? I know that Hollywood does a lot of things, but there is a real devil, okay? And he's out to destroy the child of God. He's out to steal your joy. He's out his best to scare you if he can. But no weapon formed against you is going to prosper. Every weapon the devil has against you, even in your dreams and sleep, God has other weapons against the devil, God has, he has more in his arsenal to defeat the ways the devil can attack you than you can think of, see? But, but there are times that I've gotten up and, and I thought, God, what is this? There are times I thought, this is the stuff I preach against. Why am I fearful? You know? Brothers and sisters, I, I used to be afraid to fly. Are, are you all laughing, smiling, thinking? Because 
I'm telling you, I used to be terrified to fly because the first flight we ever took was from Trinidad in 1968 as a family moving to America in November 12, 1968. Never flown a plane before. Pan Am. From nonstop from Trinidad to New York City. It was November. They had an early blizzard in New York the day before. Blizzard. I ain't talking about no Dairy Queen blizzard. I mean, know what I'm talking about. Winter blizzard. And the day after that, the strong winds were in the harbor area of John F. K. and all that area where it was. See, we, we never owned a sweater in Trinidad. You own a sweater, people laugh at you. It's a tropical island, for goodness sake. We come. As we're approaching New York, John F. K. Airport, that plane did everything but turn upside down. And we never flown. I got that little plastic bag. I kid you not. That little plastic bag. But then we were supposed to fly from New York City to Washington, D.C., the next leg of our trip. And we, my dad had a friend in, in New York City. We begged, me and my three sisters begged my dad not to fly anymore ever in our whole life. <laughs> so we overnight in New York because the turbulence was so bad coming in. My, 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 my. And I tell you, I, I, I was terrified after that. I didn't want to fly anywhere. Let's go Greyhound. <laughs> and you know how the devil would do? Get you all afraid. Now, one of the brothers, Brother Curtis Leatherwood, he's the, he's the guy who parks the cars and all. I hear wonderful Brother Curtis Leatherwood. He told me how to deal with it is to get me a box of dirt and take it on the plane in a shoebox. <laughs> Listen to this wisdom. He says, he says, you put your one foot on that dirt in the shoebox and one foot in the plane, and that way you'll always have your foot on the ground and the foot in the air. <laughs> See, I know he ain't been reading this Bible. Like, y'all, y'all. Man, I'm going to tell you something. When you get in a plane, you know, the altitude and the height, it gets you close to God. But I was so afraid to fly, it'd get me close to God in more ways than one. I'd be the most prayed up preacher in the whole plane. One, one time, we, uh, uh, one trip we were going to Israel, this is years ago, 1996, and, and we were first time going to Israel, and I, I wasn't a frequent flyer and all that, and uh, man, I, I just, uh, I thought, God, how in the world am I going to fly nonstop from 11 hours, nonstop, and 13 coming back? Oh, God. Well, I felt good about the fact that preachers were going to be on the plane, too. I didn't have any sin in my life, and I was living right and doing right and all, but I thought, just in case my stuff ain't just all together, their stuff will be, and because they're on the plane, this baby's going to go. And... And, and the, leader, the leader of the plane, the leader of the group was Dr. Paul L. Walker, the pastor of Mount Parent Church of God at that time, and now has been a former general of the Church of God. Pastor Paul L. Walker had a congregation of 10,000 people preaching the same church for almost 40 years, and he was our leader, and he was going to be on the plane. El Alta, Israel. Got into New York City. It was January. It was cold. It was freezing. They had to de the plane. I thought, oh, that's not looking good. Then El Al, you know, Israel security, they, they check you every kind of way. Turn your head down and shake you. <laughs> so before we board the plane, I find out, oh, by the way, Dr. Walker left yesterday for an early flight. Oh, God. My dad was with me on the plane. Too. Here, here's the point. Because the devil, the devil wants to use things to steal your joy, even as simple as that. Man, I want to tell you, uh, by your prayers and the power of God, I'd rather fly than drive. 
You know, I still know there's those things there. And I still pray when I get up there. Yeah, I call Father, Son, Holy Ghost. I know on every plane I'm on, you know. And we got pilots here in our church, and I thank God for them, and maybe one day I'll fly with them. But the whole point of it is, is I want you to understand that sometimes the devil puts some kind of burden, some kind of heaven, some kind of phobia, some kind of fear, some kind of imagination stuff. I'm told you could die faster. There's more probability that you could die on the highway in your car than you could die flying in the plane. The probability and, and the statistics to reveal that. Here's the point of it. If you are a child of God, whether you're in a plane, a boat, a car, your house, a church, an auditorium, if you're a child of God, you are covered by the blood of the Lamb and you ought to praise God wherever you are. Yes. I, I got to hurry and shut up. Listen. I'm talking about the burden. You get up in the morning, if it's 3 o'clock in the morning and the Lord wakes you up or the devil wakes you up, plead the blood of Jesus and go back to bed. Come on. Pray until the heaviness lifts or praise until the heaviness lifts. Don't sit up all morning, 3 o'clock to 6 o'clock in the morning, unless it's your intercession time, wandering and worrying and getting all kinds of, all kinds of fear and, and phobia in your life. If you woke up by the devil, then it's your time for you to praise God. Praise God over your marriage. Praise Him over your children. If your mind's bothering you about your job or your health, or your future, get up, get your Bible, read Psalm 100, praise God, have some worship, and go back to bed and sleep like a baby. Because the Lord is your keeper. Somebody praise Him. One more thought. One more thought. Praise that produces breakthrough is the praise that gives you the release of your heaviness. Amen, church? You know the account of Paul and Silas in jail. It's Acts 16. You know they were beaten, bruised, and left for dead for preaching the gospel. You know that they were placed in the inner chambers of this prison that was nothing like the prison we have in America today. These were dungeons, large holes in the ground, other kinds of ways of securing them. There was no outside light. There was no running water and toilets and TVs and other kinds of stuff. And obviously, the technology wasn't there, but my point is compared to the prisons of today and then. Beaten almost to death. Literally beaten. Disrobed. Scars, bruises, blood. No bath, no shower, no ointment. Nobody to feed them after being beaten. Throw them in the inner chambers of the jail. We'll deal with you tomorrow when it's daylight of preaching the gospel. Promoting Christ and this Messiah that is dead and buried. Y'all are trying to say he's alive. You get in a position where you're doing good, doing all you know what's right and well, and things go bad. You have questions too. Can I get an amen, church? When you tithe, you give your offerings, you go to church, you sing, you worship, you praise, you do what's right. You do what's honorable and decent. Then things start getting worse because the devil wants you to think because you're a Christian, it's never going to get better. He's a lying devil. Because what you're going through is only for a season. Can I get an amen? Paul says these light and momentary afflictions, they may not feel light or momentary, these light and momentary afflictions cannot be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in your life. You can go through the fire because God is the God of the fire. You can go through the storm because God's the God of the sea. You can go through whatever you need to go through if you just praise Him because it's right. But let me tell you, they had chains on their wrists. They had chains on their legs. They were, they were just a, a they were just a couple of men who were, as far as to look on them, their body, etc., seemed hopeless. But they started singing. If I'm going to die, 
I'm going to die praising God. Because Paul said along the way of his journey, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I don't want to die, but I'm, I just want, want the, the preacher Wednesday night said, you just come too far to quit now. I'm just not going to quit now. God's been too good. And while this is a bad thing, it's a terrible thing, I could die in the morning, I think I'll open up the hymn and start singing. I heard an old, old story. How the Savior came from glory. And he went, whether he sang victory in Jesus or whether he sang I'll fly away. And I know those songs were not there, but I'm saying they had their songs. These are ours. When, whether he said, sang, shake off those heavy bands. Lift up those holy hands. Let all God's children praise the Lord. I, I don't know what they sang, but something rose up in their soul and the ground began to shake. There's an earthquake in California this week, wasn't there? God gave a localized earthquake to the jailhouse. You thought the concept of jailhouse rock started with Elvis Presley. Nah, Elvis didn't start that. God started that. Elvis Presley. Paul and Silas, the, the chains fell off. The bonds were broken. The whole jail came alive. God delivered Paul and Silas, the jailkeeper, his wife and children got saved that night and baptized. Because it's amazing what praising God will do in your life. You got to praise Him with everything. The high praises of God. You got you to gotta open your mouth. You got to raise your hand. You got to use your body. You got to use your mind. You got to shake yourself and wake up yourself. My God, help us somebody. The high praises, everything. Praise God. I read where an evangelist some many years ago was preaching in the state of Illinois in a rural area. And he went out to pray in the field during the day for the service that night. And a wild bull came out of nowhere in the pasture that this evangelist was walking around praying and meditating. And the wild bull started chasing the evangelist. The devil got all kinds of ways to stop a revival. And that ain't no bull. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Before the evangelist could uh, defend himself or think, should I run this way, that way, or the other way? He did. Here was this animal right on him. And all he could think about was, praise the Lord! He did. He shouted, praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! The animal stopped in his tracks, looked, figured he wasn't hungry after all. Kid you not, turned around and went back, left the man of God alone. Please, please, I know I've gone way past my... Listen, your praises may sound like, oh, it's just me in this room. You'd be amazed if you're sincere how it sounds like to demons and to hell. God took four leprous men outside the gates of Samaria who were about to die, and they locked arms together and went towards the enemy to say, we'll die if we sit here and we'll die if they, we go there. Maybe they'll give us some food. He took four leprous men, flesh falling off their body, wobbling legs and contorted bodies and made them sound like hundreds of thousands of soldiers to the air of the enemies until the enemies ran left the camp left everything they had food and everything else and the four lepers men got food for themselves and a whole city because it's amazing what if you make an effort to praise God and go to church and live right it's amazing if you make a puny effort how God will make it voluminous large it's amazing what it sounds like to the devil stand please I got, a, I got something like a, uh, something like a praising, upbeat, what a mighty God we serve, or something like 
got fire in it. Stand up, everybody. Oh, what a good nap you had. What a good nap. I woke you up, didn't I? Well, what a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. Angels bow before heaven and earth adore. Come, musician. Play it. Well, what a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. Angels bow before heaven and earth adore. Watch this go up again. Here we go. And what a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God. Here we go. And angels bow before him. Heaven and earth adore. Father, I've sown the seed, and I pray you'd water it. I've given the word, and I pray that you'd use it. God, because we need to move on to the next service, I'd rather stay here and practice, oh God, but I thank you for giving us your power. Go ahead. Somebody make up your mind. I'm going to praise you whether I feel like it or not, God. I'm going to praise you because it relieves my burden. It releases my fear because you command me to do it. I'm going to praise you, God, because you are worthy of my praise. Oh, I love you, Lord. I worship you, Jesus. I bless your wonderful name. God, I thank you that right now you're covering marriages, you're covering money, you're covering children, you're covering jobs. You are God and you are here. I praise you, Lord Jesus, because you're worthy. I love you, Lord. I bless your name. God, I agree today over this congregation that by their praises, the enemy will be put to flight. By their one voice, a hundred angels will fall, will, will fall in line with their voice and help them praise. Lord, I pray that you surround them with people of faith and belief in the power of God. Lord, we give you our thanks. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And everybody say amen. Yeah. Amen. Oh, bless the Lord. Have a great day. God bless you as you go. Go practice. Practice your praise.